0: talk to you a little bit about um, why do we do church and why do we do specifically life together, right? It's kind of a new, new, new tagline that's, that's being coined around here. And I want to make sure you understand why I want to make sure you understand. It's not just a movement to do more stuff and have more fun together, Um, but it's actually just a return to the biblical call to live in community which was the design of the Christian life from day one. And we don't have an option to not do that. So um, I'm going to read just in a second out of Ephesians, but I'm going to tell you, and I think I've told you about him before, a good friend of mine, um, who I kind of grew up with, was good friends with in high school. And he's funny. He's this kind of free spirit kind of guy, like literally moved out to to LA, like just decided one, one night to do that. Like he started driving and he and his friend like ended up in West Memphis and lit- this was like at midnight and literally just kept driving until they made it to California. And he's like, I think I'm going to live here for a few years. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is and, and lived out there. I mean, he came back to get some stuff, but just decided to move out there, moved to Austin, lived in New York, just this kind of nomadic, find someone's couch to sleep on, do your own thing. Anyway, good friend, and uh, we, we keep in touch. We used to vacation the same week uh, out of the year every year. This is the first year we, we missed. His, he was there with his family. We'd always be there, and we'd get to hang out. Um, but anyway, I think it was, it was two or three years ago we got to talking about, I was just kind of challenging him and asking him you know, about his, his life and specifically his faith, and, man, are you in a, you know, a good church out there? And um, seemingly, and, and, I, and I do think that he's a believer. I really do. Um, but seemingly he's kind of arrived at the, I can do the Christian life just as good, if not better, kind of on my own. You know, there's so many, um, hypocrisies and a big institution in the church and there's people there and this and that. And I kind of want to just do the Christian life, you know, myself and on my own. And, you know, you don't have to be a Christian. I mean, you don't have to go to church, uh, to be a Christian. do you agree with him? And do you, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I mean, on one hand, um, I suppose he's right in, in this. Uh, salvation is about faith alone in Christ alone, right? Not, not, not works. But I guess on one hand, it's also possible for two people to be married without ever living in the same house or speaking. But that doesn't seem to make, make much sense at all, does it? So to him, I would say, okay, you can keep your little cliche... You don't have to be a Christian to go to church. You can keep that quote, but, but I want to amend that, and I want to say something that's different. And so this is what I want to say this morning, and this is really what I want to say to him if I get the opportunity. Christ's church must be a central part of your life in order to be a growing, effective, and obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. And you see how these things; those two things are different? Those are two different things. One says, um, because of my religious orientation, salvation is about faith, and it's not about doing, and I I don't really need that to secure my salvation. Okay, let's get semantical and break that up and go, uh, well, of course, I don't have to do something. It's just God's grace that saves me. But I'm offering you this. You're not obedient. You're not going to grow a bit, and you're not going to be effective apart from the church, Christ's church, not Grace of Ann, but Christ's church being not just a weekly part of your life, a central part of your life. Because here's the reality. If you are a Christian, and, and, and all of you aren't, but if you are a Christian, you're right smack in the middle Of something called sanctification. Okay? That's the process. It's it's this ongoing process of of God changing us, you know, cutting things away and, and molding us into the image of his son. You're right, smack in the middle of that process. And that process is not done on an island. It's not done in isolation. It's not done in a prayer closet. It's something that has to be done in the context of a community. And before you kind of tune this out and go, man, Grace of Anne's on this real kick, this community kick, this life together kick. And, you know, before you go, oh, it's just going to be some sappy thing about everyone holding hands and, you know, uh, kind of tiptoeing through the daisies and rainbows and let's just all get along, world peace, all that. Before you think that's what it is, I want to assure you that that's not what it is. Because Jesus Christ has offered up himself to a people in a very real, in a very present way. He's reconciling us to the Father, and he's given us the sanctifying agent of others to help do that. He's given us a gift that is called his church, that is called life together, that is called his people. And there's no way to escape it. And a lot of us want to at times, right? Some of, we, some of us are just kind of introverts or we're just kind of loners. And um, because here's the reality. And Dr. Young did such a good job uh, in, in his first sermon on the church of, of depicting this. Because we are all in process, because we are all being built, think of a construction site. You know, maybe you're, you're driving down Wolf River and you see a, a new development going up or a house being built is a house built like in a day? I mean, is it just a a bean field? And then in 24 hours, it's this beautiful, you know, luxurious house with crown molding and awesome landscaping. No, it's ugly at the beginning, right? It's a field. And then you pour concrete on it and there's a little stability there. And then it gets framed up. And when you walk around, it's dusty. You know, all the construction workers have left a lot of Fritos bags everywhere and cigarettes and probably other substances other than cigarettes. Um, but, you know, and there's, there's nails, there's rusty nails laying around and you could, you could, you know, hurt your foot. Of course, you would expect that, right? There's something that's being built. And the guys, that's us. That's the church. And a lot of the reasons that people abandon the church um, really are selfish reasons. It would be easy for us to isolate and do our own thing, right? Because we don't have to face that person who annoys us. We don't have to face those people who wrongly accused us, who who assigned us motives that weren't there. We don't have to face the person who we just don't like or we don't have anything in common with. I don't like you and I don't have anything in common with you. You stay over there, I'll stay over here and we'll do the Christian life that way. Wouldn't it be easier and less messy to not do this church thing? Of course. But is that how God prescribed it? Does he want us in the mess Yes. Very, very much yes. I want to read six verses out of Ephesians that are kind of serve as our, our focal point here the next 15 minutes. Um, and then we'll be done. It's out of Ephesians 4. I just want to read the first six verses, okay? And it's really cool. The thing about this part of Ephesians, it's, it's a, um, Paul has made a transition. The first three chapters of Ephesians, he has been talking, uh, dealing with the doctrine of salvation, kind of on an individual level. You know, by grace you've been saved. So he's talking kind of individually the first three chapters. And then in chapter 4, he moves to this communal, this, uh, and now I'm talking to all of you in response to your salvation. Now this is what life is supposed to look like. What do we call those? Indicatives and imperatives. Because I've shown you grace and woken you up from your dead state, now live like this. So he has some instruction for us. Ephesians 4, verse 1. who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to pray just for help to unpack that. All right, God, will you help us to see what it means to love you by loving your church? We don't want to be cute. This isn't a marketing campaign. We don't want to just, oh, have um, more friends and stuff to do. Lord, we want to We want to know you and love you. And this is the way that you've given us to do it. So instill in our hearts and our minds the importance of it, what it is and what it's not. We ask it only in your son's name. Amen. So Paul, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Hey, salvation. This is what salvation is. This is what Christ did on your behalf. Now, in light of that, go be unified. Go bear with one another in love go do life together. That's the gist. That's what he's saying. You know, a lot of times when I hear talks, um, i listen to a lot of different sermons and and read a lot. It's a lot of what I'm paid to do. And I, and I'll listen to some on unity on community, community in about the last decade has been kind of a buzzword around the church. You know, always, there's always something that's kind of a hot new button, you know, And, and that seems to be it. We want authentic community, and, and that church doesn't have it. They're not welcoming. You know, they didn't do this when I came in and sat down and, and I'm going over here. We want community. And that's very true because it's a biblical call. But a lot of the times it's misguided. And I'll hear these talks about unity and community. And you could really insert anything in there uh, besides the church. You know, it could be, uh, it could be a bar. You can find community in a bar. You can find community at the YMCA. You can find community in a fraternity, in a sorority, at your college, at your high school, in your neighborhood, at your work. And so it's all like, yeah, we need to have each other's backs. We need to be in community. We need to show up for each other. Of, of course, all that's true, even in the context of a church. But it's like, but why? I mean, what's the, what's the basis for that? And Paul kind of spells it out for us. He's going, hey, in light of God's grace, if you're a Christian, if you're alive and not dead, in light of that, I'm calling you a people to this new community to enter into relationships with one another in humility, he says, gentleness, he says, patience, he says, and forbearance. And he's grounding this call to community not simply on a a message of world peace and let's just have each other's backs, but he's grounding it on the very gospel itself. Namely, the community that's shared within the Godhead, within the Trinity. That's my first quick point is this. Um, God himself lives in community and that's where we get it. That's where we get the imprint in our DNA to want to connect with others and want to do life with others. The number one reason that living in community with others is so important is not simply just to enjoy the benefits of friendship, which aren't there some awesome benefits to rich Christian uh, friendship? Yes. But the number one reason that is this. God himself lives in community, and because we're cre- created in his image, we have that same imprint. We have that same longing. We have those same desires. We're going, who does God live in community with? The Trinity. God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And way before you were a blip on the radar, or we were, they lived in perfect love and harmony and unity. And so this same model of relationship, it's woven into the fabric of who we are as humans. We long to connect because it's what we're made for. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't you know, want to just stay, even though it's it's... Easier sometimes, and even though at specific seasons, man, we wish we were just made for, you know, in isolation. But it's a good thing, and it's an imprint of God on our hearts that we're made for community. Second point is this God reveals the truth in community. God reveals the truth in community. You know, sometimes it takes getting outside of ourselves to experience something or learn something rightly. You know, think about it. What do you do when you're like at a at a concert? You know, those of you who are who are live music uh, junkies. What do you do when you're at a concert and when you, you're, you're with a group of friends? I mean, you're straight up, you know, just fist pumping and, and all in it together. You're experiencing something together, and it kind of enhances that experience, doesn't it? I mean, even if you went solo to a concert, you would still be Snapchatting the crap out of it and texting the whole time and FaceTiming, you know, to try to get people involved in that. It's just kind of how we're made. Well, a little bit earlier, Paul in Ephesians, he gives us a glimpse of this concept in trying to explain and and further grounding our community with the love of Christ. Um, Listen in Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 19. Paul's wanting people to get he's wanting them to get so pumped up about Christ's love and he's saying it's only going to happen together. Here's what he says. For this reason, I'll bow my knees before the father from, uh, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul is praying for you. Paul is praying for us, his family, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Did you get that? Comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see what he's saying? Sure, you can read scripture alone, sitting in your car in the parking lot before school starts. You can listen to a sermon when you're going out of town or driving around. You can pick up a guitar if you're a musician at home and sing a worship song. And that's authentic and that's real. But where God reveals truth is in community. And there's something that happens. Dr. Young, again, two weeks ago, uh, his second sermon on the church was talking about how he was preaching out of Psalms and we come and we stir each other up. I mean, think think about last Wednesday's worship set. Was it not just exhilarating? not because the band was tight and on and man, that their effects were just popping on Smelzer's guitar or the mix was great or because we're, we're together saying the same things, asking for the same things. St- we're stirring each other up. That's why I pop out one of my earbuds every once in a while. I'm like, I got to hear these people sing. I don't care if I'm pitchy. I, I want to hear you. And it encourages me. We stir each other up. And that's what Paul's saying here with this truth. That's exactly what we're to do: is to gather together, and together, together, we can start to grasp the depth and the height and the breadth of Christ's love. It's not something you just get on your own. You know what jury duty is, right? Jury duty. It's it's a blast. Um, the idea behind jury duty is this: you have these these twelve different people combining to come to a full understanding of the truth. And it's 12 different perspectives and 12 different you know, sets of eyes and lives and stories and all that, and they're all coming together for the purpose of going, we wanna know what is true. We gotta arrive at the truth here. Guys, when we're in meaningful relationships with one another, we bring a unique perspective and burdens and, and encouragement and stories that help us to understand the fullness of Christ more and more and more. Together, our experiences and understanding of God's infinite love help us to grow, not just individually, but, guys, corporately. And that's how God designed it. You see, we're just so American. And in these last 100, 200 years, we have so transitioned into an individualistic mindset. And so that seeps into even our spiritual life. And we go, you know what? Salvation is just about me and Jesus. And I just got to be a good little boy, good little girl, read my Bible at home, pray, and then I'm done. And that's not at all how the early church functioned. And that's not at all how Christ painted the picture of salvation. It's a community project. And that's the way that he does it. Last thing, and then we're done. God purifies in community. He reveals the truth, but he also purifies us. In community, turn in your Bibles to Titus. It's just, eh, eighteen pages to the right. Uh, turn over to Titus. I want to read Titus chapter two, verse eleven through fourteen. It's a prime example of seeing a community of faith as a place where we're encouraged to pursue holiness. That's one of the reasons that we gather together is to pursue holiness. Titus two, verse eleven. No, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Here's what that means. Life together, community, rich relationships, they not only help us to see something of God's love, but they should help us and motivate us to do something in light of God's love. At first glance, you can look at that and go, oh, it's kind of a private, you know, just me and Jesus clean up your act kind of deal. But the final goal is this of God's grace. Jesus is giving himself up for a people to purify for himself, eager to do what is good. The ultimate goal of God's grace is not just your sanctification and your glorification. The ultimate goal of God's grace in the redemptive story is our sanctification and our justification. It's a sin-free family that he's after, not just a kid, a sin-free family. Now guys, this takes work on all of our parts, hard work. Um, It takes loving confrontation to other believers. That's hard. We're not good at that. Doesn't come natural, and the church culture shies away from it big time. If I ever call you or you know pull you in and say, "Hey, I need to lovingly rebuke you,", you your blood pressure rises to dangerous levels, and you want to run out and you know sweating. Well, that shouldn't be the case. It takes countless hours of prayer for each other, and that's hard. It takes firing your inner lawyer who if you ever are confronted over sin or corrected over something, that inner lawyer who who rises up and comes to your defense and he's just a prideful jerk. He doesn't have it right anyway. Get the log out of your eye, this and that. It takes killing that person. It takes laying aside fear, which is pride itself, that you can't or shouldn't speak the truth in love. It takes risk to be known by someone. When you get in small groups or when you come to Fight Club or when you come to the purity study or when you're engaging with friends, to, to drop some of the surfacey bull stuff and go, you know what? I want to be real and raw with you. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm struggling with. Not, oh, yeah, I tried to read my Bible in June. And yeah, Jesus is, is awesome. Being known by someone. That's risky, right? It's hard. You know what else is risky and hard? Knowing someone. Getting outside of yourself. Getting outside of the person that you've gone to school with for eight years or you've grown up at Grace of Van with and, and going, you know what, I I'm gonna, I want to know someone on, on a level that's meaningful. That's risky and it's hard, but it's what we're called to. It takes work. It takes shepherding. I'm not, that shouldn't be the only shepherd in this room, in this ministry. You should feel a weight and a responsibility to anyone who walks through these doors going, you know what? I want to take some ownership in their soul. I want to take some ownership in, in where they're headed. And I feel that every Christian should feel that it's a community project. I mean, did you hear what Titus said? We need each other to convince, to remind, to encourage each other that out there has it wrong. And aren't we tempted to start to believe because it's playing so loudly, the music is so convincing and loud? Aren't we tempted like every five minutes to believe that it's right and this is nuts. We need each other to train us to renounce ungodliness. That means we come in here and we go, you know what? The cultural norm out there is fill in the blank. It's to see, fill in the blank. It's to, uh, you know, post pictures that are fill in the blank. It's to talk, fill in the blank. Whatever it is, the cultural norm is that we're going to renounce ungodliness. We're going to renounce worldly passions that are fleeting. We're going to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives. And we need each other to remind each other of that. That's why what happens here on a Sunday or Wednesday is more important than whatever you have going on. And I'm to the point in my ministry where I have not an angry, I don't have an angry wartime mentality, but I have, I think a a shepherding loving wartime mentality of going, you know what? I've seen way too many people idolize and worship things that are done with them the day they graduate or done with them the day they're done with college. And it has zero payoff, zero eternal fruit whatsoever. So whether I get fruit hurled at me for being the guy who, oh, you just hate sports. I don't hate sports. Oh, you just hate people doing well on the ACT. I really don't. I think you should kill it and go be awesome doctors and lawyers and nurses and fund the world uh, with with um, gospel the gospel message. But I'm willing to say that because it grieves me to see the direct order of God's word neglected for something and things and people that are that are fleeting. That are fleeting. So it takes work. It takes work. You know, just a few sentences down, Paul tells us exactly why we're to be plugged in around here. Ephesians 4, look at verse 11. It's one of my favorite texts. I've talked to you about this recently. So, so God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. What, what, did, what is he charging me to do? What is he charging us to do? Um, pastors and, and elders, you know, Pat over there and Dr. Young and, and elders and pastors here. What does he tell us to do? To equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to this, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know what that's saying? You need to be plugged in here so that you're a growing, maturing believer. And you don't go over to Houston. And you don't go over to Briarcrest. And you don't go over to Kyreville, And you don't go over to Germantown. And you don't go over to all these places. And you're tossed like a, a, someone on a wave. Oh, should I believe that? Okay, I'll believe that. Oh, should I believe that? Okay, I'll believe that. Oh, do that? That's okay. But that you're mature and solid and growing. That's what Paul's saying. And when we don't organize our life for this to be central and this to be a priority, we're tossed to and fro. And oh, I'm so sick of seeing it. I'm so sick of seeing it. I am, I am burdened. By seeing it, and I'm not angry. Again, I pray through this. I think through this. It's not. I work at Grace Savan. so Grace Savan is most important to me. It better be most important to you. It's not. Okay. The more of you that grows, honestly, are the bigger headaches and more emails. But keep coming. I'll. I'll. God will sustain me. I'll take them. I'll keep them. We need each other to accomplish what Paul is saying, to mature, to grow. And it just grieves me to see people opt out of that for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Maybe, maybe your schedule's not all that packed. And you just you just can't put aside personal preferences. You wish we did that. You wish we didn't do that. You wish people fill in the blank. I say this as a loving pastor, and I want to say it and hope that you take heed of it and that it actually sink in and affects and change Guys, we need to grow up. Okay? We need to grow up some. There's a battle out there to be fought, and we need to quit sitting on the sidelines like we're messing with a deck of cards. People need to know Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of people are dying every day facing a Christless eternity. We need to put aside taking offense to this little thing, leaving because we didn't get our way. We need to grow up and understand what the church is, that Christ died for it, that he established it, and he's called us to be a part of it. Is it messy? Heck yeah, it's messy. Is so-and-so going to do something that offends you? Yep, they sure are. They're sinners. Am I going to do something you don't like, something that, that offends you? I sure am. Probably have in the last seven minutes. I'm, I'm a sinner too. I, I sin no less because every other week my paycheck comes from graceevangelicalchurch.inc. Uh, I promise. So what do we do with all this? I think it's pretty obvious. We pursue life together. We pursue community together. And what comes with that is making changes that are necessary to pursuing it well. One of the most encouraging encouraging stories I've heard of recent was a young man who quit baseball in the summertime. Because he knew for his soul, he needed to. And he was able to take part in Bible studies that grew his faith like crazy and trips that grew his faith like crazy and enter into conversations with people that grew his faith like crazy. Now guys, you, you've got to do the hard work of praying yourself and listening to the Holy spirit yourself. Is there something that you might need to quit to, to better do that? There might be, I'm not telling you that I'm telling you that might be the case. I did not just give a blanket statement of everyone in this room, we need to quit our careers, we need to quit our jobs and just hang out at Grace Savannah all day. That's how we're going to grow. You can, don't go to school, don't play any sports, don't do anything extracurricular. Let's just hang out in Mike's place Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and we're going to be awesome Christians. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that it shouldn't be insanely out of the question for you to look at your life, look at how crowded it is and go, I'm not healthy. I might be able to lift a lot of weights. I might be making awesome grades. I might be doing really well in my sport. I might be having a nice bank account because I'm working and doing that. But you know what? When I look into my heart, I am not heart healthy. I am not spiritually healthy. Something has to change. That is what I'm telling you. As if you read the Old Testament, have you ever heard of Israel? God is saving for himself a people, a family. And the norm of how he's doing that is in community with each other, doing life together. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful that that's how you've designed it. It's hard at times. It's messy at times. But what a gift, what a means of grace that you've given us. You've given us your spirit, and then you've given us each other. You've given us your church Oh, how we take it for granted. Oh, how we think wrongly about it. Lord, this is not a place. It's not a ministry that's designed to come up with clever little events and things that entertain us. This is not about us. It's about you. Will you convict us where our minds are wrong there? All of us, from the staff to to the sheep convict us where we have viewed your church wrongly. Give us a right view. Give us a hunger for it because we want to know you better. We want to be more faithful to you and obedient. Only your spirit can make this kind of a mindset a reality. So we beg him to do that and ask it only in Christ Jesus name. Amen.